when's this guy going to get to the series? I'm here now. We're at the series. Human. Human, human. Well, here's why I find this, this series to be necessary. Uh, I did a lot of reading over the past year, and you'll hear me reference a few different names over the course of this series, and then there will be some people, hopefully I reference their work, but sometimes I forget. I really don't mean to and or want to plagiarize. I am not that kind of person. Uh, I'm not one of those pastors who just steals material and pretends it's my own. I don't, I don't go for that. But anyways, I, I, I've been doing a lot of research, and it, a lot of this came from the own faith construct that I was given, particularly in my late teens and early 20s. See, in my late teens and early 20s, I was a part of a particular ministry. And in this, in this particular outlook of the way they looked at the gospel and the way they looked at God and the way looked at, they looked at our relationship with God, what was kind of taught to me and what I was, in a sense, trained to teach with others is that God was upset with me, that God had a real problem with me. And this, this was the construct I had for the longest time, that God had a, a real issue with me as a human being and the only time that God was really happy with me or pleased with me or wanted anything to do with me was if I was reading my Bible, sitting in church, or sharing my faith with someone. And mind you, it wasn't good enough to just be kind to another person. If you didn't share your faith with them while being kind to them, you failed. You dropped the ball. That's the faith construct that I was given. And we could argue whether that was intentional or unintentional, but, but I don't really want to get into that. That's the construct that I was given, that, that God was the majority of the time, <laughs> he just didn't want anything to do with me. And any time I wanted to do something that was any semblance of human expression, I had to be very careful because I could be walking the line of sin. And if I were to do that, God would be very, very upset with me. Because I guess we forgot the story of the prodigal son. But anyways, uh, that was the construct I had. That, that God only wanted me doing three things. But then as you begin to live life, I have to do a lot of other things, you realize. I have to work. I, I, you know, if I'm married, I have to, I have to you know, spend time with my wife. Or, or you know, if, if uh, I knew when now I am married, and, but that's what I was thinking before. It's like, I got to spend time with my wife one day when I'm married. And, and uh, you're thinking, like, I want to do all these other things, but can I do those things because they aren't reading my Bible or sitting in church or sharing my faith? And those were the three things I was, man, if I'm not doing those, I could be out of God's will. We're going to talk about God's will in the next few weeks. But, but, but that's, that's the construct that I had. A, a, a better way to, to explain this would be there was a skit that we used to do in this particular ministry that, that we would do for, for the students. And then I was, a per, I was a part of doing this skit. And I also saw this skit at a young age. And the, and the skit was called Jesus and Me. And the skit involved somebody who was playing your average everyday teenager whether it be a guy or a girl, and this person would want to do things like play video games or watch a movie or hang out with their friends. But in the skit, there would be a second character, and this person represented Jesus. And Jesus would show up in the skit, and the kid would sit down and be like, hey, Jesus. I don't know how they knew it was Jesus, but somehow they knew because the character of Jesus never talked. So I don't know how they knew. But anyways, that was, that was, the, that was the skit. And the, and, the, and, the, and the character would want to play video games. They'd be playing video games, and they'd be like, Oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. I forgot that this game had some violence in it. And so then the Jesus character would just look and stare. And they could be like, you know what? Let's put that game away. Hey, Jesus, you know what? I got this new movie. I got to show you this movie that I have. Let's watch this movie together. The kid would turn on a movie, and then uh, Jesus would just look at the kid. Just stare. And the kid would say, oh, you know what? I forgot about the language in this movie. Jesus would just keep staring, not say a thing. 
and then the kid would want to hang out with, their, with his or her friends, whatever, whoever played the character in the skit, and the friends would come over, and of course, the, the friends were just complete degenerates, because that's what all people are, of course, but, you know, uh, just ridiculous, like, <laughs> but anyways, and the friends would come in, hey, let's go get drunk, and let's get high, and kids were pretending to smoke marijuana who'd never smoked before, so it looked really fake, but anyways, um, so, and everyone could tell, especially the kids in the room who had smoked before, but, uh, and so everyone's like pretending to smoke and, and drink, and, and, and then, and then the, the friend is really torn because the friend wants to, to go hang out with his friends or her friends, and then Jesus is pulling, and Jesus starts pulling this kid's arm, and the friends start pulling the other arm because I guess we forgot about be in the world but not of the world. You should stay away from these people, but I, I guess they forgot about that part. But anyways, so the kid starts getting pulled back and forth, and then the kid finally takes Jesus and says, why don't you just get back to where you belong? It's really quite dramatic, and eight- and nine-year-old kids are watching this, by the way. And so this, this kid goes, get back to where you belong. And the kid takes Jesus and pretends to put him back on the cross, because I guess when he said it is finished the first time, it wasn't enough. So anyways, the kid takes Jesus and puts Jesus back on the cross, and then says, I'm going to go hang out with my friends instead. And as a kid, you're like, man, I'm really scared to do anything now, because Jesus might just look at me with a, with a look of condemnation. He might just look at me in a, in a look of shame and guilt. And whew, I just don't want to do anything. So you know what? Whenever I do do something, I'll probably just feel really bad about it. And if I do something like maybe read my Bible or go to church or share my faith, then I know that I'm good with God. Then I know that I'm good. But anything else that, that involves human expression... I don't know if I can do that. And what's so funny to me about this skit is that Jesus never said a word in the skit. He just looked. When I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus talked a lot. <laughs> he, he knew how to talk. So I don't know why he's showing up in the skit and not saying anything. And just giving a look of condemnation and a look of, I disapprove. He's a relational God. We don't have a deistic faith where God is just off staring and trying to make us feel bad. But this, this construct I had was that God was just waiting for me to mess up. That was my view of God at the time. That God was just waiting for me to mess up. And that if I were to do something that was not one of those three things, he might be very upset with me very quickly. That's the construct I had. And I, and I think a lot of it came down to when I was in this place, we were taught that when we shared Jesus with people, the very first thing that we had to do was to take them to a scripture, Romans 3.23. We have to, before all else, we got to share Romans 3.23 with them. Before all else. This is the most important thing that humans need to know about themselves. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3.23 says. Now, before anybody gets too upset or nervous, I believe that statement to be true. I affirm that statement. To sin means to miss the mark. And every single human being has sinned. I affirm that statement. But I will say this. That is a horrible starting point. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. We've all done things that, that we look back in our faith journey. We're like, I would have done that differently. And one of, the, one of the difficulties with my generation is we keep criticizing the past generation. But in 30 years from now, somebody's going to look at us and say, why did you guys do that? What were you thinking? How could you? So I do want to state there are many things that I have learned from my past and from those who went before me that I greatly treasure and I greatly appreciate. 
In fact, I would not be doing what I am right now and leading a church if it wasn't for other godly people who've invested in me and led me and mentored me, and I am thankful and grateful for that. But it is okay for us as the church sometimes to look and say, was that the best way to handle things? Was that the best way to give people a representation of how God relates to us and who we are supposed to be as humans? Because it was just, get to Romans 3.23. Get it there. Here's why that doesn't make sense to me. It's in the middle of the story. Remember back when we had channels on television, when people had cable? Some of you might still have that. I don't anymore. People are like, can I come over and watch this or that? No, you can't. I only have Netflix. But remember when you used to be flipping through, I used to always watch movies on TBS and TNT and Comedy Central and USA and, and all that. You know, you'd be like, I'm going to watch this movie. And you would, you would see a movie that you've seen a hundred times before. So you could pick up in the middle of the movie. And then you'd have a friend or a family member with you. And they had never seen the movie before. And they start asking you a million questions. Like, can you please just be quiet? I'm trying to watch this movie. Can you, I know, go, go find a copy. Go to Blockbuster. If, no, go, to, go to Blockbuster and rent one for yourself. They rewind all the movies before they return them. So you can start from the beginning. That's, that's what I, get, just get, just get, don't pick up in the middle of the story. But when you start with Romans 3.23, you're starting in the middle of the story. It's just not the best starting point. We wouldn't do that with anything else in life, something as trivial as movies. So why do we do that with faith? Why do we choose that the best place to start is in the middle of the story? So therefore, the title of today's message is this. In the beginning. In the beginning. If we want to discover what God's true design and true intention is for humanity, we have to start in the beginning. We have to go back to the beginning to see what God said and see what exactly did he desire for his creation. What exactly does it mean that we carry with us the image of God? What does that mean? Because Romans 3.23 that's the problem. We all have sinned. That's the problem. But when you just state the problem and you don't mention the intention, the problem appears to be, by some people, exaggerated, and it appears at times to be unrealistic when it is matched up with human experience. You can't just state the problem without first mentioning the intention that the problem broke. When you just state the problem, it's incomplete. Once again, you wouldn't do that with almost anything else in life, so I don't know why we do that with faith. We have to get back to the intention. What was God's intention for us as humans? And for that, we have to go back to Genesis 1 and 2, which is the beginning. In the beginning, when God created all things. Now, there's a lot of talk about Genesis 1 and 2. We're, we're not going to get into a deep dive of, of, you know, the intentions of Genesis 1 and 2. I'll just briefly say Genesis 1 establishes that God created all things. And that in Genesis 1, we read that God created man in his image, and at the, at the end of all of his creation, where God has created this garden, where he's dwelling with his people, he looks at it and he says, it's very good, including the humans, including the human beings. It's very good. Then Genesis chapter 2 is a retelling of the creation story. It's the same as Genesis 1, but just a different format, different way. There are different debates around why that's the case. We're not here to get into that today either. Maybe someday in the future. 
But today I want us to just look at Genesis 1 and 2 and discover what was God's intention for humanity in the beginning. And what exactly was the problem? What exactly did the problem of sin break? Those are the things that I want us to look at and discover today. What is the intention? The first thing is this, to conduct order. God's intention for us as humans is that we would conduct order. In fact, the overarching narrative in Genesis 1 is that God brings order out of chaos. There is chaos. There is nothingness. And God speaks light and life into existence. God brings order out of chaos. That's what he does in Genesis 1. So therefore, if we are created in the image of God, we have an ability to bring order. Some of you know this. Some of you are really good at bringing order. You have an innate ability to just bring order to the things around you. Some of you, you, you don't think you're good at bringing order, but you know you have a semblance of order because you say things like, well, there's a method to my madness. There's, a, there's at least an internal order. We have been created and designed as beings in the image of God who bring order to the creation around us. Look at this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them do what? Rule over the fish of the sea. To rule, to bring and to conduct order. To rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, amen and amen, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. When God, the good God, because God can only create that which is good because he is good, and God can only function out of his essence. So God creates the essence of creation that is good, and he looks at humans and says, rule, conduct order. I have given you an order, now you conduct order within this order. And what we actually find is that when we, when we as humans become disorderly, when we run from order, we are actually out of order. Like that pop machine that you go up to and it just says out of order, out of order, out of order. When we run from order, we are actually out of order. Here's what I mean by this. My wife, Kim, is a person of order. If you are on her team here at New Story Church, you know that she's a person of order. There are very specific things that she likes, and she likes them, things to be a certain way and to, and, to, and, to, and to look a certain way in the lobby, and, and it has to do this and do that, and I, I love that she does that because then I don't have to worry about it, but she is a person of order, and she will very clearly tell you when you are doing something that is not in line with that which is orderly. She is a person of order. I have learned at home, I no longer stack the dishwasher. It is a lost cause. I stay away from the dishwasher. You may come into our house after I've had multiple cups of coffee and, and, and made some lunch for myself, and you may think, Scott, you're really messy. You leave your dishes everywhere. Nope, I'm not getting anywhere near the dishwasher anymore. It's not my business. I don't want to be involved with it because apparently there's a certain way that dishes go in the dishwasher, and they might not get as clean if they go in one way or the other. I don't know what it is. But my wife is a person of order. Things go a certain way. But here's the benefit of that, and I, and I definitely believe that there's a correlation here. Sometimes I'll just be sitting with Kim, 
and she starts to fall asleep. And I was like, Kim, why can you fall asleep so quickly? What is going on? And she looks at me and she says, you know me, I can always sleep. I wish, I wish I could always sleep. I cannot always sleep. There is one time that I'm guaranteed to fall asleep, and it's about 2 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> after, after I've preached and interacted with people, that's about the one time. But I honestly believe that my wife has a, a unique ability to rest because there is so much order in her life. She goes to bed at a certain time. She handles things a certain way. There's an order. There's a progression of how things are handled, and therefore she is able to rest. Notice that once God established a perfect order in his creation, he rested on the seventh day. When order is established, we have an ability to rest. When we have internal order and we bring order to those around us, I think sometimes the reason I can't rest is because I don't have enough order. There's a million things happening in my mind at once, and it's going all over the place. And you walk in my room, and I never make my half of the bed, and it's like this is just disorderly, and it's all over the place. And, and I, I don't have order, so I can't rest. When we run from order, we are out of order. But when we establish internal order, we then have the capacity and the ability to live in the image of God and bring order to those and to the things around us. But this brings up an interesting question as well. How do we ensure that the order that we seek to build and to bring does not become corrupted? Because it's very easy to look at human history and find people who tried to bring order and did so in a horrible way, in a horrendous way in a way that, that damaged and hurt other people. Because we as humans have an ability to bring and create order, to conduct order. When we conduct order, how do we keep it from becoming corrupted? Well, there are a couple answers to that, but the first one I want us to look at is actually in this idea, the second intention for us, which is to cultivate the land. Cultivate the land. Now, once again, I'm like 0 for 2 right now, to be honest with you folks. Because I am, not, I am not the most orderly person in the world. And in regards to cultivating the land, I know nothing about agriculture. I'm not an agricultural guy. The closest that I've ever come to handling anything in regards to agriculture or, I mean, I mow my lawn. And one time when Neil was out of town, I, I watered his plants for him. That's really the closest I've ever come to taking care of any type of, of plants or living things. But God gives humans this unique responsibility to cultivate the land in Genesis 2.15. It says, And the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. To cultivate it and keep it. This carries with it, of course, an agricultural implication. But when we look at the rest of Genesis 1 and 2, it also carries with it an implication that we as humans are designed to care for and cultivate the creation around us. We are designed to care for and to cultivate creation and other created beings. We are to care for one another. And we are to care for the creation around us. And I know some people might be saying right now, oh man, that sounds a little bit like environmentalism. Environmentalism, that, that aligns with a certain political ideology that I do not align with. So I don't know if I can really get into this whole thing. This sounds like you're pushing a political ideology right now with your scripture interpretation. Listen up, folks. <laughs> I am not concerned about these political ideologies and what aligns with this and what aligns with that. I am concerned with what God designed for each and every one of us. And if that falls on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle, aisle, uh, the aisle 
really becomes an idol of that aisle, I could really give a rip. We are here to do what God has called us to do out of the conviction of his Holy Spirit at work within each and every one of our lives. And I don't care if it aligns with a certain ideology. My ideology is to follow Christ and to follow God's intentions for us to the best of my abilities. And that should be our design as the church. That should be our desire. That we don't get caught up, well, I, can, I just can't do that because, you know, it aligns with this ideology. Okay, get over yourself. But we are here to cultivate and to care for the creation around us. And this is, this is another issue that happens when you start with Romans 3.23. You have no idea how many people I have met who think that salvation is just about them. And when you start at that place of Romans 3.23, it's just about you and God. It's just about you and God. I've met two people on two extreme sides of the spectrum as a result of that. One is a result of a, as a group of people, and this is not all people, I am speaking generally, but this happens a lot. There's a group of people who think, oh, I, I prayed the prayer, I do the three things that I'm supposed to do, I read my Bible every day, I pray every day, I go to church, I share my faith, so you know what? I'm good with God. I am right. So I'm going to share with everybody else about how I'm right and everybody else is wrong. It creates almost a self-righteous narrative where people put themselves on a pedestal above other people because they've found something that nobody else has found. Jesus came for everybody, not just you. Then on the other side of the spectrum, on the other side where, where, where this has is, this is created an issue, is I think that it's created a group of people within the church who are very insecure and nervous about making any types of decisions. I don't know if I can make a decision right now because you know what? I just can't, I can't, I can't trust, I can't, I, I'm, I, all I am is a sinner, that's all I am. That's all I am, as if God doesn't come into our lives with the power of his Holy Spirit and begin to speak into our lives of what we can and can't do. It's just, I just don't know, I can't make a decision, I can't do anything. And you have no idea how many people I have met within the church who have a decision paralysis problem because they've been taught that they're good for nothing. That's just not the case. We have been created to be at work, to be doing things, to be making decisions, to be moving, to be making a difference, to conduct order and to cultivate the land, to care for the created order around us. This is what we're called to do. I've said this a million times and I will say it again and again and again. God does not solely save you for the sake of you. He saves us for the sake of others. This is God's intention, to cultivate and to care for those around us. It's not just about you and, oh, am I good with God? It's about, hey, now that I'm good with God, how do I bring his goodness and manifest his goodness to the created order around us and around me? We are here to conduct order and to cultivate and to care for the land and for, those, uh, for others within the created order as well, for other beings, for other human beings. Which brings us to our last point to create. We are created to create. We exist to create. And I know this might be a little bit difficult as well too because some people, they start to say, I'm not very creative. Because as soon as we hear the idea of create and being creative, we think of the arts. We think of music, we think of dancing, we think of singing, I, I can't do any of those things. I can't sing. When I come up on stage, I make sure my mic is turned off so that people can't hear me in their ears. People would start saying, I can't sing. I can't sing. I can't sing. But to be creative does not just mean that you operate within the realm of the arts. 
that is creative, and I strongly encourage people to pursue those things if God has created you to do that. But to be creative speaks to your ability and your capacity to create. And if God, the creator, created humans in his image, then we have an ability to create. Genesis, going back to Genesis 1, 27, which says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We have been created by a creator to create, to build, to plan. Things occur to us as human beings. Things don't occur to other species. Deer have still not figured out to not run in the middle of the road. They haven't gotten together and said, hey, have you seen how many, peop- how many of, our, of our dear friends this has happened to? We need to figure out a different strategy. We need to figure out a different way of getting across the road. Maybe we all should work together so that we don't get hit by a car. It doesn't happen. But things occur to us as human beings. New things, new ideas, because we have been designed by a creator to create. And God actually gives humans the responsibility to begin creating within the garden in Genesis chapter 2. It says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm good there. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would do, what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names. In other words, he created names for all the cattle, to the birds, and to the, and, and to the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. We'll get to that verse later in a few weeks. But, but this man, he gave names to all the cattle. He would call them something. God gave humanity the responsibility within the garden to create. We have been designed and created to create. And you, once again, you might just be, man, I'm not creative. It's one thing that Neil, if you haven't met Neil, he's great. He has a new flannel shirt today that his wife got him for Christmas. Tell him he looks great. But, uh, but Neil always says to me, he says, Scott, I'm not creative. I'm just, I'm just not creative. I don't know what to do. But when I walk into Neil's kitchen, which you've heard me talk about before because I'm just so envious of what this man can do, and it makes me feel like I'm not a man, but he, he, can, he can renovate a kitchen, and his kitchen is just absolutely gorgeous and beautiful, and when I see the counters that, that he measured out, that he created, this dude didn't just order counters and say, hey, this fits the measurements. He, he found wood, and he shaped the counters based off of measurements, and then he stained them, and, he, and then he fitted them. And he did have the help of his wonderful father, Rick. But anyway, he, he did all of these things. And I look at it and I think, man, I'm trying to explain to you what he did. I have no idea how he did what he did. I'm, just, I'm doing my best right now. But I, I think, man, Neil is creative. He, he created all, this is, this is amazing. But then Neil looks at him and you know, I'm not creative. Um, and then on the other end of things, I don't always see myself as a creative person. But every Monday I get up and I, and I write my messages for New Story Church. And then I read through them, read through them, and then I record myself reading through them. And then on Tuesday morning, I send the recordings of my messages to Neil. Neil does like a heresy check, so if you ever think I say something inappropriate or wrong, you can blame Neil. <laughs> because he's the one who tells me. That was not, you know, he, he, he helps me work through these messages. And I don't think he thinks this all the time, but I hope that at least every once in a while, he gets one of my messages and he thinks, oh, that was a creative point. That was a creative way of saying things. 
Maybe he doesn't think that. I hope he does. If, if he doesn't, then we may need to do some work. But I need to do some work is what I'm implying. I, you know, I need to work on my... But, but I don't see what I do as creative. I'm, I just get up here... I give messages. This is what I do. I, 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 I look at the word of God. I see what God is saying. I put this together. But I think what happens is, the same with Neil, the same with myself, and the same with all of us, sometimes we choose not to see our own creative ability. We don't see the ability that God has given us to create. But whenever you start to discover and embrace that which brings you alive, that which you are good at, that which you know that you have been created to do, you will begin to see the creative capacity of the image of God on your life. So whether that's business, whether it's finance, whether it's accounting, whether you're a mechanic, whether it's human resources, whether, whether you're in the food industry, whether you're in the insurance industry, whether you're, just, whether you're a stay-at-home uh, parent, whether you're just a student, whatever it is you are, wherever you find yourself, you have been given a divine ability to create within that space, especially if in that space you are brought alive. Especially within that space, you say, something is clicking right now. There's something about this that I just feel almost an out-of-body experience when I'm doing this. You have been created to create in that space. Do not run from that. Just because it, it fills your heart with ambition, just because you enjoy doing it, that doesn't mean, oh man, i got to worry about my motives right now. It does if you enjoy killing people then you may need to think about your motives. But if it's something that brings life to your soul and it brings life to those around you, and in doing that you are creating order and you are cultivating and caring for those around you, you can know that it is within God's good intentions to reflect his good image and to create where he has placed you to create. Humans are marked with meaning. We as humans are marked with meaning. This meaning is found in our ability to conduct order, in our call to cultivate and care for the creation, and in our capacity and ability to create. But even on a deeper level, this meaning is found and discovered in the reality that we all have value because we are all created in the image of God. Even that family member who you saw over the holiday season who you thought, man, I didn't think I was going to have to see them this year because of COVID, but then we ran into each other. I can't stand them. That person is created in the image of God. Every human being is created in the image of God. Every human being in being created in the image of God thus has capacity and potential that has been given to them by God. That is the meaning that we have been marked with. But this brings us back to Romans 3.23. Because there is a sense in which that meaning has been shattered or has been disfigured or fractured. When, when Adam and Eve chose to sin, this concept of sin entered the world and every single person has sinned. Every single person ha has, has made a decision that misses the mark, that, that creates distance between God and creates distance between others. But, but what I found to be untrue at times is what I was taught was that nobody could ever do anything good ever. Everybody's just, you know, mulling around. They can't do anything good because everybody's just sin. Unless, unless you know Jesus, unless you're doing what Jesus wants, you can't do anything good. 
That is an incomplete Christian anthropology. The, the, the anthropology of the Christian faith is that every human being has been marked by a good God with his image. But yes, we have been marked by sin. But when we come to know Jesus, who is Lord of all, and also gave us an, the, the, the true image of the invisible God, that image becomes restored within us in Christ Jesus. Paul actually talks about this in Colossians 3.10. We just have to flip there real quick. This is what it means to know Jesus. And he says, and put on the new self, who is what? Being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. According to the image of the one who created him. When you, when you embrace following Jesus, when you call Jesus Lord and Savior, when you give your life to him, he begins to restore and renew the fullness of the capacity and the potential of the image of God. Can you work for that which is good apart from God? At times, yes. You can have an act of kindness. But I believe that that is, a, that is God speaking to us in our lives, that he has marked us with his image. You see, the image of God in your life, it speaks to the reality of a good creator marking you with his image. And your capacity to do evil or to sin speaks to your need for a savior. This is the reality. And so, yes, you can occasionally work for that which is good apart from Christ, but why would I want to accidentally stumble into the good when I can purposefully work for that which is good by knowing the one who is good? You see, you, you might be able to work for that which is good at times because you've been marked by the image of God. You are marked with meaning. But if you want to start working for the good on purpose, if you want to start working for the good for the eternal work of God in the world as opposed to working for that which is temporary, then come to know Jesus and allow him to restore the true meaning that you have as an image bearer of God, to conduct order, to cultivate the land, and to cultivate and care for the creation and the created beings around you, and to create. This is our intention, and the reason the problem is so bad is because we don't want to live lives without intention and without purpose and apart from God. And when we come to know him, when we embrace the way of Jesus and surrender to him as Lord, he begins to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, restore the image of God in and through our lives. We, we can no longer give this story that you're a sinner, pray this prayer, stumble through life, figure things out, and then one day you'll get to heaven one day. That is an incomplete story. There is work that we've been called to do on earth as in heaven. We are created to bring about God's good will on earth as it is in heaven. God has a design for you as a human. And as I said, whether that be in business, whether it be in, in, in building a family, whether that be in sales or, or whatever it is, to sing, to dance, whatever it is, you can do that and enjoy it for the glory of God and perpetuate God's goodness in the created order, specifically when you are connected to the one who is good. His name is Jesus. We can't miss out on this. 
God is moving in the present and he's leading us into the future. Listen closely for the voice of the Holy Spirit. Let God do what Paul said in Colossians 3.10 and have the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Let the Spirit of God into your life to renew and fully restore the image of God. Why would we go around broken and fractured when we could live this life being renewed and restored and being a part of bringing that renewal and restoration to the creation around us? Choose to see the meaning that God has given you. Choose to embrace the meaning that God has placed on your life. And also, choose to start to see the meaning that God has placed on other people's lives as well. Other people are not less than you if they have a differing worldview than you. They are still created in the image of God. And God just as badly wants to restore that broken image in them just as much as he does for you. Jesus came for all people. So in whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, letting people know, hey, I'm connected to a good creator in Christ Jesus, and I can't help but to do this to the best of my ability and with all the effort that I have because he created me with an intention and a purpose to do this, and in myself doing the best that I can in what I do, I am letting the world know who Jesus is. This is what we get to be a part of. This is what we get to do. This is what it means to be human. To conduct order. To cultivate the land. And to create. Humans are marked with meaning. Choose to let God awaken that meaning within you. And choose to begin to see that meaning in others. We're going to have a time of prayer here. We're going to start doing this the first Sunday of every month here at New Story Church. And in this time of prayer, we're going to have the, the, the worship team playing over you a little bit. But I want everybody to spend some time just in silence because we don't get a lot of silence. <laughs> even, even in quarantine, we don't get a lot of silence with our phones and everything. Just spend this time in silence asking God to speak to you, asking God to awaken the meaning that he has only given you. And then ask God how you can begin to see the other people that he has placed in your life as those who have been marked with meaning. Spend this time with God, letting him speak to you, letting him encourage you, letting him prepare you, because we don't want to just give 2021 to God. We want to give all of our lives to him. And while we want this year to be different, it starts with us allowing God to make us different. It starts with us allowing the work of the Holy Spirit to speak clearly into our lives and restore and renew us and, re and allow us to... And and let him use us to restore and renew that which is around us. So, if you would, I'm going to invite you to, to just into a moment of prayer and silence in this moment. But if you're also here today and you need prayer, saying, I got something going on right now, and you need some prayer. We got someone up here, Kyle, he'd be willing to pray with you. Or if you maybe just need to reach out to somebody who's sitting near you. It's good to pray together. And we need each other. And I want everyone 
to listen so closely to the voice of the Holy Spirit that not only does the image of God begin to be renewed within you, but that you begin to discover the meaning that God has for you. And you begin to see the other people in your life as people who are created and designed with meaning by God. And you allow God to speak to you in such a powerful way that you will allow him to use you to call that meaning out of others. To love them in the same way that Christ has loved you. And to see them as image bearers of God. online, you need prayer, fill out the Get Connected link at newstorybuffalo.com, type in the chat. We want to pray for you today. Jesus, we thank you that you died and rose again so that we could have life. And it is by your stripes that we are healed and that by your work, the intention that you have for us is restored. I pray today that we as a church designed us on purpose for a purpose. May we take up the mantle of the responsibility that is given only by you to us to conduct order, to cultivate and care, and to create. May we fulfill that responsibility that you've given us to bring about your kingdom work and your will on earth as it is in heaven. Speak to every one of us, God. We are trusting in you. We know that you, Holy Spirit, are real. You are alive. You are present with us. May we listen to your voice and respond with enthusiasm and excitement to the opportunities that you've placed in front of us. The people who are online or in person here today awaken the meaning within each and every one of us. May we respond to the call and the responsibility that only you've given us. And may we choose to see that in others. Shape us into the humanity that you've created us to be. In your name I pray. Amen.